The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. The following interview was conducted on February 6th, 2021. Hello, everybody. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is UCI Medical Center Emergency Department Nurse Jennifer Swarer. I recently received my COVID-19 vaccine at Disneyland while I was wearing my UCI polo shirt, and when it came time to get my shot, Jennifer was the nurse who gave it to me. I invited her to be on the show to get her perspective on how things are going, the vaccine, and the COVID-19 battle Welcome to UCI Conversations, Jennifer. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for your service. Before we get into your professional life, can you just tell us where you grew up and what you like to do when you were a kid? Sure. I grew up in Cypress, California. I grew up pretty much your standard outdoorsy kind of girl. I did gymnastics for 10 years. I was a Polynesian dancer and I continued to do that into my adulthood. And I had a habit of bringing in stray animals from wherever. (laughs) Okay. Do you still do that or not as much? (laughs) I don't do the stray animals, although we do still rescue animals. Uh, So all of our pets in my lifetime have been all rescues, um, except for one. I still dance. I haven't been active since COVID, though. Yeah. But up until that time, I was still dancing. Well, great. If at the end of the interview, we have more time, we'll talk about that, too. Sure. So when did you start thinking about becoming a nurse? I didn't really have any notions of actually becoming a nurse, per se. I've always been interested in the medical field. I enjoyed science, biology, you know, microbiology, but I always knew I wanted to be in the medical field. I just didn't know exactly where I started off being a medical sales rep for a diabetes insulin company called Minimed. And I was a sales rep for quite some time and I thought that was it. And when they decided to move the corporate office to Northridge, my decision was to stay local and still stayed in sales, selling insulin pumps. But 
And then I decided that maybe I should try something a little different in the medical field. Mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed, you know, taking care of people. And so I thought maybe I would look into nursing and I got a job in a hospital and I really loved the atmosphere. And so, you know, after that, my mind was made up that I was going to be a nurse, you know, have interaction with patients and not just doctors. So, and just kind of like the progressive movement with advanced, you know, sciences and the amazing, amazing things that, you know, have advanced since even the 1980s or 70s. So it's really neat to be a part of that. Yeah. Wonderful. How long did it take to become a nurse? Well, I did the ADN program, which was two years at a community college. And I did think about you know, getting my BSN and completing that. But at this moment in time in my age, I just don't feel like it's a real need to do another year of school just to get my BSN at this point. Although I do know that most hospitals, especially magnet hospitals require you to have a BSN. So for anyone that's interested in going in to the nursing route, um, they need to make sure that they do obtain a bachelor's degree for sure. Mm. So is a BSN, is that a little bit more education than an RN? Yeah. Well, so the clinical portion of becoming a nurse is the same, whether you're a BSN or an ADN nurse, getting your BSN, just, I think it's more The way my friends explained it was it's just more paperwork to write, a little bit more research paperwork. Mm -hmm. But other than that, the training that we get for the clinical portion of it is pretty much the same. And I keep hearing you say, I think it's ADN, and I don't hear you say RN. Is RN not you? Well, it is. I mean, I'm still, I am an RN. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, if you have the BSN, you have your bachelor's, Uh you have your ADN, you have your associate degree. But regardless, at the end of the day, whether you have your ADN or your BSN, you're an RN. Okay. So originally, when you first started working at the hospital, you weren't an RN per se, but then you went back to school and got that? Yes. And how long have you been at UCI Medical Center? I've been at UCI since February of 2012. Okay, so about eight years. How's it going? It's going great. I started at UCI and immediately fell in love with the emergency department. And was that at the UCI Medical Center in Orange? Yes. Emergency room nursing is like no other. You have a team. There's a camaraderie there. And it becomes your family. When one, you know, nurse might get a hectic and a critical patient, there's no doubt that someone somewhere will jump in and help you. So we have great teamwork. And that is a huge aspect of emergency room nursing that I personally enjoy. I've been in the emergency room since I was a baby nurse. I've never left it. So, Uh (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Wow. Now, are you in certain areas of, is it called ER or ED now? I hear a lot. Well, yeah, it was the ER for, you know, a really, really long time. Right. But I think that everyone started moving to ED. I think they did that to move that term across nationally. I started off nursing 
when everything was called an ER. So mm-hmm. that's what I got used to. But technically, everyone calls it the ED now. Uh-huh. That's just the emergency department now. Gotcha. And are you trained in certain things or pretty much enough as a nurse, you have to be ready for anything? Yeah. So ER nurses, of course, you know, we have to be able to recognize lethal cardiac rhythms. So we have to make sure that we stay on top of that and know what's abnormal heart rhythms. We get certified for the stroke scale and being able to assess a patient that comes in with a stroke and be able to utilize the NIH scale. There's critical care nursing. You can do the trauma certified nursing. There's a lot of different certificates that you could obtain to further your knowledge for Mm -hmm. emergency and trauma nursing. And are you typically in one area or another or? No, no. All of us rotate when we're in the emergency room. So, you know, sometimes I might be with the psychiatric patients. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I might be with the critical care areas Mm -hmm. where we really do have to monitor certain patients that do come in. Mm -hmm. So all the patients are near the nursing station. So we can see and we know what's going on. Sometimes we do trauma float for the nurses. We sometimes are breakers. Sometimes we're floaters. We work triage area. So there's different areas that we kind of rotate around. And being in the ED department, are you in the middle of the COVID-19 battle or are they trying to keep that separate? No, we are definitely in the middle of that because... When patients arrive with COVID-like symptoms, they are directed immediately to the emergency room department. So they check in through our triage and, you know, we check their symptoms, see if it's something that might indicate that they might have COVID. And after that point, you know, we separate them from our not COVID-like population So we have different areas where we pretty much separate the patients from triage when patients come in. So if we think that they might have COVID, we separate them from the general population that might not have COVID. Yeah, that just seems like, how the heck do you do that? It just just seems like a daunting task. You feel like you're just doing the best you can, or it's like, well, no, we really have protocols that are really quite good. I think a little bit of both. We have great protocols in place Mm -hmm. and we definitely abide by it and we use it. But at the same time, especially with this last search that happened after the holidays, it was definitely a very hard time for, I think, everybody trying to manage patients that were coming in and also trying to take care of the regular patients that we also need to take care of when the emergency department goes down for diversion because we're so impacted that we're, you know, when the department's so full and we have no place for the patients to go and the hospital is also full because the admission's so high that every single bed in the hospital is full, you know, we can't take any more ambulance runs. And so when we go down for diversion, which is something that happened in Orange County during our surge, it was really, really hard. Because basically you're turning away patients, not, not just patients coming in for COVID, but you're turning away and closing the door 
for the paramedics to bring in a patient that might possibly be having a heart attack, be having a stroke or any other ailments. And that became really difficult when we have to go down for diversion like that, because I think that it impacts the community in a very, very negative way. But at the same time, what do you do? Right. Have you ever seen that in your career before? I have to say that every time that we've had a surge occur in Orange County, in my career, I have never experienced something like this. This is definitely something new. It is something that I will never forget. And I think that the images and the impact that this has had on not just everyone's personal life, but the health and the families that are affected, the patients that we've taken care of, I don't, I I really think that it's something that I'll never forget. Wow. Excuse me just for a moment, nurse, while I update our listeners, if you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is one of many local frontline healthcare worker heroes who take care of us all in our time of need. UCI Medical Center registered nurse Jennifer Schwarer. And we've been talking about her road to becoming a nurse in, in the current pandemic emergencies. Are you working in that auxiliary tent where they've expanded the emergency department? Yes, I have the mobile field hospital. I have been there. How's that going? I've never thought in my whole entire career that I would be a nurse in a mobile field hospital, but I think that it was something that came to be that was important and that we definitely needed for the hospital to offset some of our stable patients so that we can open up, you know, more floor beds for the patients that were critical. And I thought that was just a very important and positive thing that UCI Medical Center did. But like I said, never thought that I would experience being a nurse in a mobile field hospital. Is there anybody that is speaking from experience, including the doctors? I mean, it it almost seems like, well, a war experience. It, I mean, I... I don't want to say that it's like a war experience. And and I say that because I think that being in war and being in a field hospital probably would be quite worse than this. Mm. And not saying that a pandemic isn't worse, but I think that, you know, soldiers being out in the field mm. and being truly in war and taking care of the wounded in a field hospital. Mm. I, I just, I don't want to compare the two. And, mm-hmm. and it's because I just don't want to disrespect the, you know, U.S. soldiers that are out there um, fighting wars mm-hmm. and going through what they're going through. You, you speak from one with experience and um, I respect that. But I, I will say that dealing with this pandemic and how much it's affected so many people around the world, I kind of do understand why, um, you know, we might term this pandemic of being warlike or being in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's, it's a little bit differently. I mean, we're fighting against something that we can't see. And, and I think that that's the difference. Mm-hmm. 
Boy, I mean, like you said, you can't see it. It must be, I don't know, do you know, to be honest, nurse, do you, do you ever get scared? I, um, I, I guess the best way to explain it is when, you know, the surge goes on and all the numbers were high, the hospitalizations were high, the, the amount of, you know, patients that were checking in for COVID were high and, you know, it all happened after the holidays and, when you're a nurse or a healthcare provider and you are just going, 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 I don't think that at that time you're really thinking about how it's affecting you, but every moment that you're taking care of these patients, especially with being on high flow oxygen and being intubated and you're in a room with them for quite a bit of time giving them medications or making sure that they're breathing okay or making sure that their vitals are safe or titrating their medications you know all the things that come with critical care nursing I think when you go home and when you start to drive home you you know at that moment you start to decompress a little bit and at that point is when the guessing game starts Mm. in your head because Mm. you're thinking did I seal my mask you know, well enough against my face. Is this the day that I'm going to bring this COVID home to my family? Am I going to get my husband sick? You know, are are my kids going to get sick? You know, and if the kids get sick and they're asymptomatic, will they inadvertently, if, you know, infect somebody else or, you know, so there is a little bit of a mind game that occurs, I think, for everybody. And, you know, sometimes you're like, you know what, you don't want to stop living, but at the same time, there's definitely moments when you're not so much scared, but you're worried because you're worried about the people around you. You know, you're worried that you don't want to get your mom and dad sick. You don't want to get your grandparents sick. You don't, you don't want to be that one that has to feel that guilty burden of knowing that you might, you know, inadvertently kill somebody by giving them COVID. And I think that that was scariest, you know, for me emotionally is trying to stay safe. And yet you're in the middle of taking care of these COVID patients. And it's at that point when you're at home and, you know, you know, you start to second guess some of the things that you did at work, whether it was, you know, did I, did I make sure I, you know, wash my hand right after that? Did I, touch something and then touch my face with it. You know, it's just all those things that just start running through your head. Where are we with the, you know, the holiday season surge? What I find so amazing is that it'll seem like we're doing good. We're doing good. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, no, we're doing bad. I mean, is it like that for you? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. I think that we all had a feeling. I can't speak for everybody in our department or the whole hospital or, you know, the nurses that are in different departments. But I will say that some of us did discuss that we were kind of worried about the holiday season and we figured that there would be a surge. I don't think that we, I don't think that we thought that our surge in Orange County would have been as bad as it was. I don't think that for a moment, I didn't even think that it was going to be as bad as, you know, what happened. And I think that because you want to give society the benefit of the doubt that 
even if 40%, 50%, 60% of the people didn't care and weren't taking the you know, right precautions, you're kind of hoping that as a society that people would come together and do the right thing. And not just for their immediate family, but I guess, you know, thinking of others in the community. And I think for us, a lot of that was, it was almost a letdown. At least I know for me, I felt like it was a letdown. And not only because I was in the medical field, but, you know, our immediate family and our extended family, you know, we, we talked about it and we just decided that until we are vaccinated, that we would not gather in, you know, our usual family gatherings for the holidays. And honestly, I'm glad that we didn't. But, you know, seeing the huge search that we did was, it was really surprising. Uh, it, it, was, it was quite a shock. Mm. So do you feel like we're through it? Are our numbers, they're, they're still coming down at this point, right? So just keep yes. them go, going down, right? You know what? I hope so. Our numbers have been going down from our last surge from over the holidays and they are trending downward, which is, which is great. I'm, I'm hoping that with the vaccination rollout, that as more people get vaccinated, that even if we do experience another surge, I'm hoping and praying that it won't be like the surge that we had after the holidays last year. Excuse me one more time. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest is UCI Medical Center Emergency Department Nurse Jennifer Swarer. Nurse, as I mentioned in the introduction, how we met was that you gave me my vaccine at Disneyland. That vaccine pod point of distribution, that's not affiliated with UCI, is it? No, it's not. How did you get involved? Actually, I reached out to one of my girlfriends who's a supervisor for Orange County Health. And I sent her a quick message and I asked her and said, hey, I'm available if Orange County Health needs nurse volunteers or if they need any help with vaccinating you know, our community. And so she immediately sent out, yes, she gave me the link to one OC and I signed up. They ran my nursing license and my background. And I want to say the process took probably about a good week or so, a little bit less than a week. And I got an email asking if I wanted to help vaccinate at Disneyland. And how long have you been doing it since it opened so I've been doing it for, I want to say this is my third week. So you, I think maybe that was your first week when I met you. Yes. Um, how's it going? First of all, my experience was pretty darn smooth. You guys got a lot of people through there. You know, it took a couple hours, but I didn't consider that crazy out of the realm of possibility. How is it on your end? Well, I think since the time that you came, the process actually has improved greatly. Patients are not waiting hours anymore. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think it's one of those things. It's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. And they've made great strides on making it run more smoothly. So it's actually been really great. The first time I started vaccinating there or, you know, volunteering to vaccinate, 
I believe we vaccinated approximately a little bit over 2,000 people at the time that you went. And since then, we've been vaccinating anywhere between three to 5,000 um, oh, people. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes, big change. And even on the days that we vaccinated over 5,000 people, it's been great. We had one minor little, you know, computer hiccup, which is bound to occur when you have that many people, but it was a quick fix. Everybody ran on time with their appointments and yeah, the process has gotten really smooth. Excellent. And, you know, are you actually, you know, working like you, you have your normal responsibilities at UCI Medical Center. Do you just have a calling to work more or are you, are you able to balance your schedule or are you just superwoman? <laughs> I mean, yes, I do have a regular paying job at UCI Medical Center. So I do work there. I actually do work another job at a outpatient surgery center. And then I also volunteer two days a week at the vaccination site. That's my own preference. I'm doing it because I want to do it. And it is volunteer work. I go there at 645 in the morning and I don't leave until all the vaccinations are done. Basically, I think the latest I left was a little bit after six one time. And, you know, and the earliest I've left was at maybe a quarter to five. Wow. It is volunteer work. Yes. Man, that is to be commended. I think for me, Kevin, after seeing the surge and the impact that COVID has had on our community, our elderly, the families I've seen, I think that that was a huge motivational factor for me personally. You know, you're driving by and you're seeing businesses that you remember being there. And when you stop seeing them and you see these closed signs, you see kids out of school you know, you, you see how this has impacted so many lives. And I think that I, for me, I just think that if vaccinating as many people and helping to vaccinate as many people as I possibly can to get these businesses back up and running, especially the small businesses, get our kids back in school, help our elderly not be afraid to be around their own family and to be able to, you know, rejoin them again. And you know, try to at least get a step closer into a normalcy again. I think that for me is a huge motivational factor and why I felt the need to volunteer and help vaccinate people for free. You know, you don't think about it when you're there because, you know, you, you're motivated and you've got a goal and, and you're connected with all these other people that are there and it's very positive. Fantastic. And I will say to the listeners out there, I even brought a few Starbucks coffee cards just to say thank you. And I tried to give these cards away to multiple people. No one would take them. I guess the word is out that you guys don't accept thank you. So I'll just say thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. That means a lot. I think that right now, we're working to get the community vaccinated. And I think that the thank you that makes me feel really happy and proud of why I'm doing what I'm doing is because when you see the positivity from everybody getting vaccinated and tears and all the selfies that people take while they're getting vaccinated, (laughs) just seeing the positivity out there from the community, I think for me is is rewarding enough. 
Wonderful. When you're giving a shot, are all shots pretty much the same? Is there a sweet spot that you're shooting for? (laughs) (laughs) So we're trying to get it into the deltoid. And I don't know what that is. So (laughs) So it's right below your shoulder. It's that big muscle. You know, when guys are working out, they're beefy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's what we're shooting for. Okay. And it is a little bit different for everybody because not everybody is built the same. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are a little bit more meatier than others. Mm -hmm. Some people don't really have a lot of muscle mass. And this is, you know, speaking for the elderly population Mm -hmm. that are really skinny and have lost a lot of muscle mass. You know, you have to just make a little adjustment and make sure that you're not giving them a subcutaneous shot because we don't do that. The vaccination is meant to be in the muscle. Mm. So yeah, because we do have to inject the vaccination into the deltoid, we have to look at everyone's anatomical and not everyone's built the same. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Nurse, you know, I was surprised that day when I drove into the Disneyland parking lot <laughs> that there were actually protesters on the sidewalk. It just made me think, I mean, you know what? If somebody came out here to sweep the sidewalks, you might have protesters protesting, sweeping. I mean, I just was like, are mm-hmm. you kidding me? And maybe what's most important is in terms of masks. It, it seems like if we've learned anything over the last year, mm-hmm. it's that masks work. I think to address the protesting against vaccination, I'm a firm believer that everyone should do their own due diligence and research the vaccination and do what you feel is right. You should do your own research and hopefully you use credible sites and make your own informed decision in that sense. No one is being forced to get vaccinated. The government is not, as far as I know, have not been forcing anybody to get vaccinated. They're only encouraging it. Mm -hmm. I would encourage the same, but at the same time, I would not sit here and argue that someone has to do this or anything like that. For me, I did my own due diligence. I researched it on my own and came to the conclusion that I personally wanted to be vaccinated. And I think the protesters that are protesting against vaccination, I think what they're doing is very selfish Obviously, the people coming into the vaccination sites have already made their own informed decision Mm. and they believe in science and they believe that. And I think a lot of people, they're just kind of like over this pandemic at this point and Mm. they see something positive there and they want it. And I think that for people to protest and tell people not to get it. I think it's personally wrong, just like I'm sure they wouldn't like it if people were telling them that they have to get, you know, or they should get vaccinated. And to come to a mass vaccination site, especially with our elderly age group that's getting vaccinated at this time, I don't think that they need to encounter something like that on their way in for something positive for themselves and their families. And as far as the mask and social distancing, that's, I think, been a, a real difficult point for many people. I think 
because of it becoming so politicized, you know, from the get go, I think that it somehow turned into a political statement. And I think that was a mistake. I think that that was wrong. And whatever your political beliefs, you know, may be, you know, science is science. I don't think that science has ever played a part in politics Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't Mm -hmm. just like if somebody had cancer and, you know, they're getting chemotherapy and all that stuff. And you don't see someone in politics saying like, oh, chemo is so bad. Like you shouldn't do chemo. It's your body. Like, don't put that stuff in there. Like, you know, you don't see that. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, for something so simple as a mask, somehow got pulled into politics. And I think that things could have been a lot better. I don't think that this pandemic in the US would have been as bad if we had somebody that was a little bit more understanding of science and believed in science. I think that a lot of lives would have been saved. And that's just speaking from a scientific point. And as a human, nobody wants to wear a mask. I don't know anybody, you know, that's saying out here, or I'm not even saying that I can't say like, I can't wait until the day I can like stop wearing a mask. But at the same time, at this point, we need to wear them. Mm -hmm. We still need to wear them. We still should not, you know, socially gather in large groups. I mean, I know my friends and I are talking about having a I've been vaccinated party. So a few of us can get together because at least we know we've been vaccinated. So I think the hard part is that people need to understand that, you know, the medical you know, community, the science community is not asking people to wear a mask forever. You know, we're not telling anybody to stay away from everybody forever. We just need to slow or stop this pandemic and move forward so that we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, the light for, I think most people, I believe is, you know, getting back to normal again. Right. And now we're starting to hear more about the UCI main campus Bren Center vaccine center. Have you heard much about that? It seems like it was kind of quiet and now you're starting to hear a little bit more about it. Are they gearing up with that or have you heard much about it? I haven't heard that much through our department. I know that they were vaccinating UCI patients that fit the tier for vaccination at this time. So I know that that was started. But as far as the UCI campus, I don't know too much about that. How big is our uh, UCI medical center? Are we the biggest hospital in Orange County or no? There are a lot about the same size or do you have any sense of where we are? We are one of the bigger hospitals. Yes. Now, if you're going to ask me how many beds each hospital has in Orange County, I I don't know that. (laughs) Then I won't ask it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do know that we are the only level one trauma center in Orange County. I don't know if OC Global is one still, but as far as I know, UCI is the only level one trauma center in Orange County, I believe. 
Okay. And in terms of the emergency department, when you're working on the floor, is it so big that you won't go in certain parts of it? Or no, it's on any given night, I'm pretty much all over the place. Or or is it like that? Oh, no, we're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the first time when I first stepped into UCI, I, I felt like I was going around in circles, you know, because there's so many doors leading out to, you know, another hallway and and oh. even now, sometimes once in a while, I'll walk out and say, oh, no, this wasn't the door I meant to go out. <laughs> um, so uh, it, you can easily get turned around, I guess. But I think that for most people walking through the department, I, I kind of see why they would feel overwhelmed. There's a lot of different areas of the emergency room. Just excuse me one more time. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is UCI Medical Center Registered Nurse and COVID-19 Vaccine Administrator Jennifer Schorer. She spends most of her time in the emergency department, but has also been giving vaccine shots at Disneyland as a volunteer. Now, how does your schedule work? Are you five days on, five days off? Is it like that or, or not? No. Most nursing schedules that work in the hospital setting full-time is like three twelves. I don't even know if our department has part-time anymore or per DMs. Uh, we're required to work six shifts um, within six weeks. So before when the surge was occurring, I picked up more days because we needed the staff. And now that our numbers are starting to slowly decline, I've been in the ER and then I work another job two days a week. And then I help vaccinate um, at Disneyland another two days a week. So, so I guess I'm working five, five days a week right now. I just try to make use of my time if I know I'm available to do something. And right now it's the volunteer work. So whatever days I'm available for the week, I try to plug myself in and be available to be able to vaccinate. Gotcha. Does it depend on the day that are you in the the COVID section or are you in the, you know, outside of that section? So in the ED, we have been trying to separate COVID patients from our regular patients. And, you know, to be honest, when the surge was occurring, it felt like every area of the department had COVID patients, whether it was outside in tents, in the chairs, in our designated COVID area. And then we had to expand it to another section and turn that into a COVID area. And then our trauma bays became COVID rooms, especially for our critical patients that came in with COVID. So at that time, when the surge happened, I felt like, I I mean, I want to say our COVID patients were everywhere. If you had the role of taking care of, you know, critical patients, you were in the room with, you know, COVID patients that were either on high flow oxygen or if they were intubated. So at that point, I want to say that regardless of where you were, you were probably being exposed to COVID. Again, with the numbers declining, you know, we've gone back to having a specific designated area for COVID. And everything is kind of back to how they set it up initially. So 
I think that for safety for the staff, I think that the numbers declining was a huge improvement because we were literally getting emails all the time of you know being exposed and it was occurring every single day. Nurse, in this last year, you know, do you have any specific memory of there's just something that you'll never forget? It's just something that somebody said or in, in this wash of a million memories, is, is there... Is there anything that stands out for you in the last year? There is. I think that, I mean, other than 2020 being such a year of crazy polarity, mm-hmm. um, I think for me on like more of a personal note, I felt very, very sad for my middle child, the senior this year at, in high school. And missing out on all the senior activities and and not being able to be in school, you know, I felt really bad. And just like I, I feel bad for all the kids that are out of school right now and that are not getting, you know, the normal school life that we all got to have. So that, you know, that was kind of, you know, hard, but I'm grateful that our daughter was so resilient. She honestly didn't complain very much at all, you know, during this whole entire time. It was more like, I miss this. But, you know, she understands that, you know, people need to wear masks and, you know, she understands that. So I'm really grateful that, you know, we have, you know, good kids that think of others and are able to think outside the box and not just think about themselves. But for me, that was really hard to see her miss her senior year. And I know that it's not going to change for her, even when she graduates this year, because, you know, I don't foresee this going away until at least next year. Mm. Now, as far as what stood out for me, um, being a nurse and I guess more on the emotional end. I think that the surge going on and, you know, one day I was so busy and I had three critical patients and everybody was on high flow oxygen. And, you know, I had one patient that was intubated and you're kind of, you know, watching their vitals and making sure that their, you know, their blood pressure is okay. And you're titrating their medications and making sure that they're you know, that they're okay. And I, I had a day when, you know, family members were just calling just nonstop. And when you're in the zone of trying to take care of everybody, I think it's really hard to kind of separate and really take the time to realize that these patients that you're taking care of have loved ones that aren't able to come inside and be by them, you know, be by their side. And, you know, one of the patient's son, you know, asked if I can FaceTime so he can talk to his dad. And so I, I finally got some time when I was able to do that because mind you, we were, this is when the surge was occurring. So we were all so busy and, you know, barely being able to leave for um, a snack or, or food. And at the same time, you're in the back of your head, you have that fear of, like, oh my gosh, like, did I seal my mask on well enough? 
So all these things are going through your head. And at that time, I let the patient FaceTime with his son. And you can tell that he was having horrible, just shortness of breath and barely being able to even answer a yes and not even being able to really formulate any sentences because he was so short of breath. And the son was so grateful that he was able to, you know, speak with his father. And when they were conversing, all I kept thinking was, oh my gosh, this patient can't breathe. And I felt that maybe the son was making it worse, but at the same time, you know that that's not what's making it worse. I think that making it worse would have been the son not being able to talk to his dad. And, you know, the son kept on telling him that, you know, we're not giving up on you, that we love you, and that, you know, they'll all be waiting, like, no matter what. So please keep fighting. And I think that that moment, it really, it, I, I took a step back and like, you know, you understand that there's a human component to all of this, that there are people on the other end that are waiting for this pa these patients that are, you know, that are sick with COVID. And so, you know, that was a really hard, that was a hard moment for me emotionally being in, being there. And, and I think at the vaccination site, when you see these people talk about how they had lost their spouses to COVID or, you know, you're, you're listening to the positive stories or the negative stories. And then you see the elderly that are just crying because they haven't seen their family. You kind of see the human component and I don't mean human component, not that patients are not human, but you see a full circle of a story you know, that could have been a patient that you might have taken care of. And it kind of completes a whole story on the other end of the people that are waiting for these patients mm -hmm. to get better and, and how COVID has really directly affected them. So for me, the, the son that, um, you know, got to FaceTime with his dad, mm -hmm. I think that for me was... Um, a moment that I think I don't think that I'm going to forget, and I still do think about that patient and wonder if he was able to make it out of the hospital alive. Yeah, wow. For the general public, we kind of think the nurses—you kind of know what happens to everybody. But is there so many people at times that you you can't keep track of everybody? I mean, it's not that. The emergency room is a little bit different. Patients don't stay for days. Oh. Uh, you know, we did have some patients that did stay, you know, that stayed in the ER a lot longer at that, you know, during the surge because there wasn't any more beds available on the floors. I see. So sometimes we would have them, you know, for about maybe two days or so and then or three days. And then at some point they would get you know, transferred to one of the rooms upstairs or in one of the makeshift ICUs, ICU beds that they had um, created for the surge. Mm -hmm. But once they leave the department, we have no idea what happens to them. You know, that's a distinction that I think gets muddled. I mean, myself, I kind of think they came in and then like when, as you've been describing, I just figured it just seemed like, oh, 
you're with them the whole time, but it's almost, you know, they, they, they initially, they kind of get triaged in the emergency department and then they'll either go to a regular hospital room or ICU or, or, or so mm-hmm. forth. I, I think the general public forgets that. And I think that that for us, cause we're so in a, we're, we're in a zone in the emergency department, you, you know, with the nursing staff, the, um, the physicians, the, the techs, everybody we're, you know, we're constantly moving and taking care of, you know, four or five patients, um, sometimes, you know, during the surge and, and then, you know, we were taking anywhere between two and three critical care patients that were sick during the surge. And, you know, when your mind is just about the task at hand and keeping your patient alive and well, and, you know, and stable that, you know, once they leave, once they leave you, um, okay. I mean, right. we don't, we have no idea. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Well, nurse Jennifer Shore, thank you in your busy life right now that, um, taking care of all us common people. We just thank you for being with us today and sharing all your knowledge and perspective. And we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for your work. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Okay. Jennifer, thank you so much. I, um, I'm touched and um, I just can't say enough. I, 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 I want to give you 10 uh, Starbucks cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> You did and, not need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was pandemic part of your uh, at all in your nursing training? Did you? Uh, no. Yeah. Who would have? No, it was not. Just, who would have ever thought? <laughs> yeah. Who would have ever thought? Here we are, and um, it's it. It may not be pretty, but we're getting through it. And thanks to people like you. So th- thank you so much, and please tell tell all your, your your co-workers how much we appreciate it i will kevin and you know it's not just us i think it's i think it's the community you know as a whole all the ones that have worn a mask and um and not socially gathered in large groups and that have taken the precaution whether it's for themselves or for you know their families or their community I think that it was commendable for the community um, and those that did um, really listen to science and took the precautions. It, you know, it, it means a lot to us as well, because we know that, um, you know, the surge, the, the pandemic in Orange County could have been a lot worse than, I guess it could always get worse, but, you know, um, it, it takes, it, it took a lot of sacrifice, I think, from the community to get back to where we need to be to control this, um, to control the surge. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, and this is something that I tell my children, it's not about you. It's not about me. And it's not just about our family. It's about our neighbors. It's about the strangers that we see on the streets. It's, you know, it's, it's all of us. So 
you know, for every bit of, you know, for everyone that wore a mask and it still continues to wear a mask and take precautions, I want to thank them too, because, you know, we are in this all together. I love it. Thank you. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again to UCI Medical Center ED Emergency Department Nurse Jennifer Schwerer. Thank you for her work. Thank you for her dedication. And thank you for her humanity. She did a terrific job describing conditions and her experiences over the last year of COVID-19, particularly the surges we have had over the last several months. As Nurse Jennifer said, we are all in this together. Keep socially distancing and wearing your mask as much as possible. And I encourage you to wear two masks if possible. The Super Bowl was great last weekend, but the real heroes are all the healthcare workers. Go team UCIMC. Thank you. And a quick shout out to Fred Kaplan, the piano man responsible for all my show theme music at the top and close of each show. Kudos to Fred. And now turning the page, Coming up next at 5 p.m. is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra, the show that examines common business problems and discusses solutions that other businesses have tried. Stay tuned. You're listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Don't forget you can reach me anytime by email, my address is kboss at KUCI.org, and my podcast website is www.bossenmeyer.com for 24-7 access to this show and all my past shows. Enjoy. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, encouraging you to stay strong and work hard. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Happy trails. So long, everybody. We'll see you next week.